I'm Emma G. Rose, author of Contemporary Fantasy and Mythological Weirdness. I'm Shelley Shearer, author of Urban Fantasies and Cozy Mysteries. Welcome to Indie Book Talk. Join us as we explore the expanding universe of indie books. Welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have Dominic Marinelli, the author of His Old Tapes. And Dominic is an interesting character because he has written 16 books with the power of journalism. I, I made that up. He, he didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but now he's going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you so very much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, here's my, my first thing. I also went to journalism school and I started in journalism. So are you still, do you still consider yourself like a practicing journalist or are you doing only books? No, definitely still a practicing journalist. So many of uh, my idols in the industry uh, were journalists as well and, and, and well throughout the period of time that they were writing fiction as well. I think that uh, for me, it went hand in hand. I wanted to be a writer of fiction and journalism. Uh, specifically, I, you know, one of my idols was Mordecai Richler, and, and he spent his whole career writing both fiction and journalism. And I always wanted to have that kind of, you know, grip because I find as a journalist, you have a kind of a grip on the here and now, whereas fiction, you can kind of be a little taken away from what's going on in the here and now, especially if you write genre fiction. And uh, journalism keeps me in the here and now. It always uh, pretty much has. So, yeah, definitely still uh, writing journalism. I Actually, quite a bit of journalism. I write about uh, anywhere from 24 to 27 articles a week. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so do you find that you use a lot of what you write and the journalism side of things carries through into your fiction writing or do you try to separate the two and then that's like your totally fiction world and you don't join them up? I try to keep it separate, especially for the neo-beat non-genre stuff that I write, especially the poetry. But then again, stuff that's going on in the world kind of always slinks its way into <laughs> fiction. I guess they go hand in hand sometimes, but um, you try to keep it separate on the surface. But mostly the genre fiction, you kind of try to keep that distinction between the two for sure. Right. I mean, obviously anything that's going around anyone's lives finds yeah. a way into their novels or their work mm. somehow. But I had a quick side question. What is Neobeat? Neobeat, it's basically the offshoot of the uh, Beat Generation, uh, which was started by uh, poets, not only poets, but writers, Jack Kerouac, uh, William Burroughs, Allen Ginsberg, Gregory Corso, and Herbert Hunky. Really, they were the five fathers of beat fiction and beat poetry. And any Neobeats are basically students of uh, that guard, and kind of you you follow the same train of thought that they were on, which was basically stream of consciousness, first thought, best thought, spontaneous prose. If I'm doing stream of consciousness, first thought, best thought, spontaneous prose, where does editing come into this process? Or does it not? Do we just, you write something and you publish it and you're done? Oh, that's the funny thing. Yeah, <laughs> There's, um, there is a fine line. I'm a multi-genre writer, so when I try to do my neo-beat-oriented work, I try not to edit, but then on the other side of things, I am a compulsive editor, uh, <laughs> you know, especially for my genre pieces. I edit quite a bit as far as that's concerned, but uh, you, you try to keep the integrity of that first thought in all of the spontaneous prose, and I try to do that every time out. And if you guys like later on, I will read from one of those. Cool. Do you go to 
open mic nights and like present yes. your work to the world? Oh, absolutely. It, unfortunately, right now, I since COVID, basically, since the pandemic started, I haven't been able to, I think at the beginning, I had released an open letter to Arthur Pond. This was just before the pandemic kind of got serious in North America. Mm. Basically, before everything kind of closed down, you know, we were hearing about it, but we, you know, like most North Americans, we were like, oh, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to hit us. You know, we're, we're going <laughs> to, we'll, we'll be safe from this. And as it turned out, unfortunately, we were not. And um, basically, all open mic nights ceased to be put on. And I didn't get to do very many. Things let up in the summer a little bit. So I was able to do one in Ottawa to promote Where It Lay Hidden, another book that I released last year. But other than that, I was definitely hit. But before that, I was doing like uh, anywhere from 20 to 30 open mic nights a year for sure. Wow. That just sounds terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's you you have to promote, especially these days with fiction, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, the Internet's not enough sometimes, I guess. So do you find you get a lot of feedback from the open mic nights versus maybe like a social media promotion? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for years there, it was going hand in hand for me. Online, I, I was making, you know, a little bit of noise. But dare I say it, sometimes online, you know, there's that solid brick wall of Gibraltar that puts a stop on you that fortunately is not there when you go out there in the world or from city to city, and you read your book, it's amazing the interaction that you'll have. Don't get me wrong, I I have a lot of great readers that I acquired online. But at a reading, to have poured your heart out on the microphone, and for someone to come up to you and say, can I have a copy of your book, please? And they purchase it right from you, and they appreciate that you sign it for them. Oh, man, there's no greater feeling in the world. Yeah, Shelley, there's no greater feeling in the world. I just know. I keep telling Shelly how wonderful <laughs> author events are and how amazing it is to like read your work out loud, to talk to your readers, and she's still dragging her feet. She's a little, little, little frightened of that, apparently. Uh, you should do it. It's um, <laughs> People are there for that. They're there to interact with you, the writer, because you'd be surprised how many people show up that are not writers. They just want to read. Uh, excuse, mm-hmm. excuse me. They just want to hear you read. Or mm-hmm. hear writers read, and uh, it's 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 a great audience. I've always encountered a very great audience in public like that. Wow! Well, you make it sound awesome. <laughs> uh, maybe one day I, I will tip my toe in and, and try it. Shelly, you have it. to think of yourself as the adorable otter and the people. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dominic, I don't know if you've if you've heard some of our previous episodes, but Shelly's like obsessed with going to zoos and and doing like the animal interactions. Okay. So, like, just think of it like that. You're the adorable otter, and they're all here to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm That's not great. climbing in anyone's shirt. Okay, fair. <laughs> Probably for the best. <laughs> There's legal ramifications. So, all right. So, Dominic, back to you. <laughs> so, I, I see it, and you've mentioned that you do write across a bunch of different genres. Do you yep. find that to be a branding issue at all, or do you worry about branding? Yeah, uh, that, that's a great, great question. Initially, I did worry about that, but I could not. I could not just stand by one mode of writing or one genre. I I just couldn't do it because since I was a child, I had all of these ideas that went from adventure to action, to crime, to transgressive fiction, to neo beat, like we discussed earlier. And I knew that 
if I just had to stick to one genre, that, that was going to limit some of the ideas that I had. So I made a decision early on. I knew, like you say, it was going to affect the branding issue. Basically, I wasn't going to be able to sell myself as just one genre. And um, I, I decided against it regardless. You know, sometimes you have to protect the art and not the, um, the business side of it. Right. It's kind of like that whole uh Pearl Jam mentality, you know? Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the band Pearl Jam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. And it's kind of how do you separate art from business? And when does art become a business? Trying to protect the art when it is a business is the hardest thing an artist can do, I think. And and I respect them as a band for keeping their integrity for years. Definitely a hard line to walk with with, with a little bit of help. Well, a lot of help from, from family. I do pretty much all of my own marketing and my own promotion. And it's, it's hard to kind of walk that line of, I want to create, I want time and energy to do that. But also I want people to read the words. So like, I have to do some of this marketing stuff, some of this branding. Um, It's just, it is a rough thing to kind of balance. If you had to, if you had to like find the person, like who do you think of as your reader? Is it different kinds of people for the different kinds of work? Or is there one kind of person who, if they come across you, they're going to be like, ooh, poetry, ooh, novels, ooh. Like, who is that person who, who reads your work? It's, it, that, that, too, is a great question. Uh, I, I often do think about that, my readers in general, and I know that I have so many different readers. Um, I started out by writing in uh, the uh, gamer world. Uh, as far as my journalism was concerned. And when those articles started to take off uh, and started trending, uh, I was like, okay, great. This is going to, you know, it's going to spark some interest for my fiction. It it did not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> gamers don't really like to read too much. And uh, may, maybe sci-fi, maybe horror. But if you want to get gamers into like the beat generation or the neo-beat movement, uh, you're going to have a pretty hard time convincing them. Uh, oh my God. Can someone please, some indie studio out there, I have a project for you. Make a video game based on beat poetry because that would be so cool. That would be interesting. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> definitely interesting for sure. But uh, no, to, to go back to the point of your question, it was, a, it was an epic question. And uh, I, I, I guess because I'm a multi-genre writer, each book is for a different or project or article is for a different portion of my readership. I, I, I think about them, I guess, as a, as multiple separate entities. <laughs> so did you ever think of having different pen names? I mean, I, I struggled for the longest time if I wanted a pen name versus my real name. Uh, and I know there's many people out there that have a pen name for each genre they write under. Is that something you ever considered? Or are you just like, no, this is me and this is all that I write? There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I looked at it. Like I said, the models and the idols that I had in the writing world, they all wrote primarily under their own name and one name. Uh, So I kind of wanted to have that career. You know, I I, I think that a lot of people get into the arts because they want to be remembered for what they put down, for what they created. And I think it's easier to do that when you have one name. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. You're not kind of dividing up. I have to say, though, I'm looking at your bio right now, and mm. it does not surprise me that you write in multiple genres because, mm. listeners, you have to. His bio is amazing. You should go read it. 
he studied law and society, and then he studied electromechanics, and then he got a teaching certificate to teach English as a foreign language. And then he decided, I don't want to do that anymore. And so he was tutoring, and then he was a video store clerk, an office and warehouse clerk, (laughs) a dental equipment technician, and a line cook. And then finally came around to, hmm, maybe I should do this writing thing. (laughs) I was going to say, that sounds like a writer. (laughs) definitely well i always considered myself a writer believe it or not i was published the first time when i was 10 and uh, uh, that was in a school board periodical uh twice then um my sixth grade teacher mr summers he kind of got you know the attention of my mom and he said you know what you you got to really cultivate this because his writings are are pretty special so from that time i'm i'm hearing this stuff i had the right people in my life I kind of always had in my mind that I wanted to write for my living and all those odd jobs and all that school to me, it was just wasting my time. When, when I finally started sending stuff out, short stories, articles, what have you, that was in 2010, I started taking odd jobs so I can concentrate on my writing. And then the journalism took off a little while later and uh, I started releasing books in 2016. Awesome. So you, you started releasing books in 2016. It's now yeah. 2021 and you've published... 16 books. Is is my count correct? Yes. Yes. Wow. Now, some of these are poetry, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We've talked a lot about the poetry. What else do you write? You keep saying multi-genre, and we've talked almost exclusively about poetry. So what sure. else is there? Uh, there is uh, transgressive fiction, a lot of horror. Okay. What is transgression fiction? <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I, uh, do you know Fight Club? Yes. By Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, basically, he is uh, the, the new father of transgressive fiction, the original father of transgressive fiction was uh, Charles Bukowski. And basically... I love Charles Bukowski! There you go. Sorry. See, anything <laughs> that has to deal with, uh, I don't want to say uh, criminal intent, but a type of wasted lifestyle, but you can find uh. a hero in that. Because, let, let's be honest, in the fiction of Charles Bukowski, it was pretty much most of the time the plight of the alcoholic who didn't want to work, was in search of God knows what else. But he had a plight. You cared about this character. But yet he was uh, conducting himself in almost a criminal, criminalistic manner. But yet there was a plight to this character. He had a, he had a, he had a purpose. And as a reader, you cared about it. So uh, that's pretty much transgressive fiction. Interesting. Quite a few of my novels are, uh, can be allotted to that uh, uh, genre for sure. Horror. Sometimes I like to combine the two, horror and transgressive. Crime fiction, which uh, generic V is probably... Uh, one of my favorite crime novels that I've written so far. That was a fun book to write. We promoted the heck out of that book. I touch a little bit on everything, especially in my collections. I like to put in a little bit of sci-fi. Like I said, a non-genre, neo-beat. Sky's the limit. <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed that um, several of your novels were very short length. Yes. So, so almost more novella length. Do you get any feedback on that? Or are people okay with that length? Because you know everyone always talks about you know, a novel has to have this many pages or this type of genre has to have this much in it. Does anyone f- give you feedback on that? Not really. I've had some longish novels like uh, Beneath the White Darkness. If I'm not mistaken, it's almost at 400 pages, somewhere around there. And I think that for me, storytelling, when the story's done, when you've told the story, it will tell you how long it needs to be. Uh, that's how I feel. And I love short novels, just like I love a giant novel that I can sink my teeth into. But, uh, for example, the novels of Mitch Albom, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, For One More Day, those are short little novels that are 
just perfect. And especially these days, I, I saw a terrifying statistic uh, just a, a couple of weeks ago. The average reader reads only three novels a year. That is terrifying. And also, it is sad. probably true. <laughs> very sad, very sad. But so, I've actually wondered that because I um, I read a lot of cozy mysteries and when I'm going on to Kindle or something, I see that a lot of the really popular that everyone keeps talking about are fairly short. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's due to the attention span or what people just like to read now. They want smaller chunks of things that take up their time. So I, I was just curious to what kind of feedback you got from that. But it sounds like it's pretty positive. I think that people digest the work differently these days. I know that certain writers, uh, Stephen King in particular, he got a lot of heat every time he tried to write a shorter novel. You know, they're like, oh, we want your thousand page books, you know? And he said in interviews that people got on him for that. But I think you, you touched on something very important just now, saying that the attention span of readers is a little shorter. I would have to agree with that. I think that the attention span of readers today is a little shorter. Uh, the average reader, perhaps not you know, readers like ourselves, but the average reader. Also, here's my problem with a thousand page book. Mm. You can't hold it comfortably. That's true. <laughs> so trying to read and you feel like you're in like, I need a robe and like a weird hat and one of those stands like they have in the library to have the giant book open. Yeah. And like, I, I, am I doing a spell? Like what is happening? <laughs> so that is my problem. I, I am very picky about, I want a book that I can hold and in one hand if possible, because I need the other hand for coffee. You don't want to do weightlifting with it. You're just like, no. I just want to hold a book. Yes. <laughs> You're very good. Yes, I yes, I totally agree. Okay, so now I'm curious. Do you have like something you can read from the new We've never done this before, so we're going to do it. Something you can read from the new book that it's like a minute or two? I have a, a a short poem that I could read you. There's 33 pieces in this in this collection. Okay. And I can read you one of the poems. Okay. And this is from His Old Tapes, which is the latest stories and poetry collection. Yes. And okay. uh I'm, I'm going to go for one of those uh, Neo Beach Dream of Consciousness ones, uh, just because we talked about it. <laughs> a dead tower. My best friend came to call me in my dream. He showed me a dead tower. A ticking clock and death was in the air. We talked about the past. We talked about the future. We talked of the needs and the wants we confuse. He awaits at the top with his wolves. His hair is long and dark. He's gained some weight, but not too much. He still scowls at the wind. He waits patiently as I walk the desolate streets in search of him and me. Trash and rubble on the ground. The psychotic smiling elevator attendant, who wants to take me up, stares at me through the grid separating him and me, me and you. The staircase has broken stone steps with holes throughout that promise only an infinite fall. The sounds of multiple clocks and dripping water fill my soul. The impending storm, it's coming. The awareness of his presence and whatever it is he wants to tell me, it's in the air like smoke. If Kurt Vonnegut... And and Bukowski got together and had an acid trip and then wrote something. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite line in there, I have to tell you, my favorite line was, he's gained some weight, but not too much. Yeah. 
Because I felt like the, it was getting really, like, fantasy, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was really, like, futuristic, dystopian kind of fantasy thing going on. And that was such a real detail. Like, it was, it just snapped me back into these, like, being real people. And I loved that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. I have to say, I actually enjoy having poetry read to me. Right? <laughs> I don't think I've had that before. I, I enjoy that more than reading it. So. <laughs> and the slight Kabukwa uh, accent you have there is really adds to the allure, I think. Yes, uh, that's uh, that that's hard to lose. Um, I'm oh, primarily... keep it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Why would you want to lose that? No. <laughs> Do you speak French, I assume? Yes, yes. Um, okay. I, I, I speak three languages, um, also Italian. Ah, oh. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Dominic is clearly a multi-talented human. You should probably go check out his books. If you do want to go check out his books, Dominic, where can they find you? Amazon.com, absolutely. Uh, they're all there. Uh, Barnes & Noble, most of them are there. If I'm not mistaken, this one's going to be on Barnes & Noble real soon. Um, in Canada, if you're listening in Canada, uh, at chapters and indigo.ca. And, uh, uh, if you're not a fan of ordering online, you can actually walk into your local, uh, Barnes and Noble. You can walk into your local chapters and indigo in Canada, and you can actually order the book to the store. Walk to your local bookstore, wear your mask, walk to your local bookstore, do the thing. That's what we like. Yes. We're a fan of the local bookstores. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, he's on all the social medias, so if you do wander over to his very retro fabulous website, uh, I, I, I gotta say, like, I first looked at your website and I was like, what? And then I was like, oh, I Old get school. it. school. <laughs> <laughs> like, it spoke to me on a deep 90s level. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> music to my ears. Music to my ears, gosh darn it. <laughs> You know, it's called his old tapes for a reason. (laughs) I felt it. I felt it. So if you go to his website uh, or to Amazon, you can also chase down his social medias. He's on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as a YouTube channel, which I don't know what's going on there, but maybe check that out. Yeah, we just relaunched that. We we had been up last year. I didn't like the direction of it. And basically, we relaunched it to just uh, feature uh, readings. So yes, go check that out because you can just listen to him read you things. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Stop listening to this. Go there instead. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Dominic. We had a great time and I'm going to go check out your books now. I appreciate that so much. I thank you for having me. Much respect. Thank you.